นโมทัสสะภะวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะโมทัสสะภะวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะThe question gets asked, not really uh, of people like us. Uh, what's meditation got to do with it? Uh, people look at the way we live and think, "Well, what good are you doing?" And so they do sometimes, understandably, ask, "You know, what's the point of meditation? It doesn't look like you're doing anything." Mm. I did during the meditation, beginning this evening. I did halfway through. Open my eyes to look around to see what was happening, and everybody's just sitting there. Outwardly, looks like people are just doing nothing—a pointless waste of time. And so, for those who haven't had a introduction to inner cultivation, then the question is fair enough. And so, I don't mind when people ask that question, and I think it's it's good to. Be quite clear. What is the point of meditation? Meditation is is not useful if what needs to happen is to clean the kitchen. You know, if you're supposed to be cleaning the kitchen, you don't say, "I want to meditate this afternoon." I don't want to clean the kitchen. I mean, sometimes in the monastery that happens. We have a kitchen cleanup today, and you know, well, maybe one doesn't want to do it. They want to go and meditate. Well, when it's time for cleaning the kitchen, it's not time for for sitting still, closing your eyes. And turning the light of awareness inwards, in the way that we do during formal practice. Uh, so meditation has a distinct place in our lives, and and that place needs to be understood as addressing directly the quality of consciousness with which we relate to life. Right? Uh, it, it's, I didn't personally. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with the idea that you could change the quality of consciousness. You know, this is what you've got. You know, and, but in Buddhism, it's very clear. We have this jitta bhavana, or cultivation of the heart, or cultivation of of consciousness itself. And the understanding is that if we don't work on it, then what happens? Like the mind is like water. It It goes to the lowest place, and so uh, the encouragement from all Buddhist teachings, from all Buddhist teachers, is that we don't miss this opportunity to uh, take advantage of, of human birth, and we really cultivate what we've got. And you could look around and you can see, well, in some situations, some people hand, handle themselves better than others. You can you can see the. 
the wonderful example of those who, who do have well-established inner virtue. You know, they can be under extreme pressure, and people trying to incite them to violence, and they don't move. And then somebody else, just a little bit of, you know, they've got an ingrown toenail on there, and you know, they can't handle it, or there's a few flies flying around, and they get into a, into a tiz. What's the difference? Well, the difference is the state of consciousness. Well, one person can walk into a supermarket and know what they need to get to eat, fair enough, and they go in, they look for what they want, they get it, and they smile at the checkout person and then leave. Somebody else goes in there and their attention is all over the place and they get distracted and they end up buying this magazine and that product and, and more than what they really plan to buy anyway. And what's the difference? Well, it's the quality of consciousness. One person is fooled by this distortion of consciousness, which in Buddhism is called um, lopa, or greed. So these distortions of consciousness, <clears throat> like, like greed and, and, and ill will, uh, the Buddha identified that. This is something that if we, if we work skillfully, if we engage in spiritual training, then we use the right tools in the right way, then we can make a difference. And so this is the place of meditation. And this is basically what meditation is aiming at, is removing the distortions of consciousness so that we can see clearly. Yeah, the, we've all heard of the, the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, and all of them are relative to the first factor, samaditi, or clear seeing. If we don't see clearly then we don't think straight and our, uh, our, the quality of attention that we bring to whatever exercise we're doing, whether it's the work we're doing or the way we speak or our activity in daily life or the effort we make or the kind of concentration we have or the kind of awareness we have, all of these other factors are to some degree compromised. And so the Buddha held up meditation training as, as the most powerful technique. Yes, we need mindful, we need precepts. Yes, we need a heart of generosity but if we're really serious about uh, freeing the heart, uh, what's the word, uh, removing the distortions from consciousness, if we're really serious about removing the distortions from consciousness so we can see clearly, then we need to engage in meditation. And so meditation has got nothing to do with, with what you look like from the outside. It's got to do with what we see when we turn inwards. And so... Uh, most briefly, I would say, when I talk about meditation, I point out that there's different ways of relating to it, depending on, on where you're at, and also uh, what's going on around you. Um, so for some people, uh, meditation uh, can be an exercise in relaxation. And that's one way of engaging meditation. For other people, it can be a, an, uh, an exercise in concentration. And yet for others, it can be an exercise or an effort directed towards transformation. So whether it's relaxation, concentration or transformation, it depends on where are we at within ourselves and what's going on around us. If, for instance, uh, somebody is uh, caught up in a lot of anxiety, a, a very busy life, a lot of worry and concerns and the environment is not very safe and secure then to try and uh, persuade such a person 
to go on an intense meditation retreat and engage in, in uh, meditation exercises aimed at transformation um, is probably not very wise. And the result could be an absolute disaster, actually, because these tools, meditation tools, are very strong, very, very, uh, very powerful. So as with all our effort, the Buddha encouraged us to be mindful how we, how we pick these tools up. And so picking a meditation, we want to be aware of where are we coming from, what's needed right now. If, it's, if what's needed is relaxation, then we approach meditation with that attitude, with relaxation, emphasizing not doing anything, not gaining anything, not trying to get rid of anything. Not trying to become anything. Learning to be at ease, really, really learning how to be at ease with ourselves, at ease with life. And I was talking with somebody just yesterday who, um, about my age, and uh, and he's been made redundant, and he's got uh, three, I think, two or three young children, and he's been working all his life, and a very capable fellow, but he can't find work, and it's that's difficult. That's very difficult when you're at this stage of life and to be made redundant. And we were talking about meditation practice. And, and certainly I, I, I encouraged him to approach meditation with the attitude of, of generating a sense of ease and, and well-being and, and the meditation practice that we all are familiar with of cultivating loving kindness is very good for this. Or even even with without engaging in something as directed as uh, loving-kindness meditation, it, it could well be that uh, you need to go for a walk. And just going for a walk in the woods and checking out the birds and the butterflies and, and, and smelling the blossoms, and that can also be meditation. Uh, now, it's not meditation aimed at transformation, but it could well be what's going to take us to relaxation, and that could be exactly the thing that is needed. And sometimes it's the case that people have been meditating for a long time and, and they've developed concentration, they've, they've developed some skills in their meditation practice oriented towards transformation. But they get themselves into such a state that they need to pull back from that. And what's called for is just relaxation. And so I think identifying these different approaches to meditation, these different aspects of meditation, relaxation, Concentration, transformation can be helpful in adjusting our approach depending on, as I said, what's going on around us and what's happening inside of us and being agile in our approach to practice. And the second way of approaching meditation uh, is, is, as I identified, with concentration. The Buddha spoke about this a lot and... uh, just how much we effort we put into developing concentration meditation is, again, very dependent upon the kind of character. Uh, some people who don't have a lot going on upstairs, you know, they've got pretty quiet minds, they, uh, just, uh, and they can engage in, in concentration meditation exercises and, and progress very far, very fast, and, and, and they get a lot of pleasure from it, eh? I remember when I was living in the northeast of Thailand and, and every uh, moon day, new moon, full moon and quarter moon, so once a week we would sit there in the, in the sala and, and we would be there all night until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when we'd 
go back to Akutis and then get ready and go out in arms round. And, and of course, for, for me and for most of the Westerners, it was an excruciating ordeal. But I'd look at the, the local village people and they'd come and they'd sit there and they'd just be there for hours. And they just they just do what the teacher said, focus on the meditation object of the breath and let go of thoughts of the past, let go of thoughts of the future and steady the mind and they would just drop into a state of tranquility and stay there. Very peaceful, very at ease, no problem. They didn't have sore knees or sore back or worrying about their insurance policies or or you know their childhood traumas or what anything else. They, they were just having a very nice time. Well, that worked for them, and they, such such people can uh, develop uh, some some very uh, easeful samadhi um, quite rapidly. And as a tool, as a preliminary tool, tool for taking further into uh, practice or aimed at transformation, it, uh, it can be a precious tool. Um, However, although it's, um, it can be um, for such people who have such experiences, and I'm not one of them, uh, such characters do experience a lot of uh, an intense happiness, intense bliss, uh, the, uh, the teachers warn us against getting too impressed by too much of that. Of course, we do need a certain amount of that, and Ajahn Chah is, is, is often quoted as saying that you need enough concentration to be able to read a book. Now, people will, in the meditation traditions of Theravadan Buddhism, regularly ask, how much concentration do you need? Uh, the teachers are always asked, this, how much concentration do you need? Because you read the scriptures and you see that the, uh, they, they talk a lot about developing the jhanas and these profound, subtle, sophisticated states of concentration, incredibly refined. And if you're not careful the way you read it, you can feel like, well, you're a complete no-hoper if you don't have all these uh, sophisticated states of concentration developed. And so people fall into doubt and then they go to see the teacher and they say, well, just how much samadhi do you need before you can develop vipassana and so on? And, and well, Ajahn Chah's answer I thought was, was wonderful and, and, and uh, very good to consider. He, because what his practice, his teaching was aiming at was was emphasizing the next stage of meditation, which is transformation, which comes through reading your heart. As far as he was concerned, the information's all there. We've already got all the data. We don't need any more. We've already got all the activity. We need to learn how to read it, how to decode it, how to decipher it. So it is true, it is right, that in the beginning we need to develop concentration meditation. We need a certain degree of relaxation and ease and well-being. And we do need to work on it until we get a, a taste for the possibility of the practice. And I often wonder what it would have been like if, if I had never gone on a meditation retreat when I was 23 years old. I'd read a little Buddhism and I was incredibly inspired by what I read. It was just, at last there's something that makes sense. I don't have to compromise my intelligence to go along with this. This is what a relief. And, and there's millions of people over thousands of years have been going along with this. It was a huge realization, a huge relief to, to come across this teaching. But all of that was nothing compared to going on my first meditation retreat and going on a retreat and 
doing what the teacher said, sitting for an hour or 45 minutes, whatever it was, and then walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking through the day, no talking. And then on the third day, just at one moment, I can still remember where I was, that, that, where the mind dropped into a state of tranquility that I had not known before. And there's just this whole body mind, wow, what was that? <clears throat> that was good. That was good. And nobody had to tell me it was good. Nobody had to tell me it was relevant. That is relevant. That is worthwhile. That is valuable. And it doesn't take that much effort. It's not something special that, that only special people can have. It just takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of discipline. Just like learning to use a camera. You know, you focus the lens until you get a clear picture and then you can take a beautiful photo. It's just like that, really. And, but that's beautiful when you focus. When we know how to really focus the mind, focus the heart, and bring the heart and mind and body together until it becomes somewhat one-pointed. There's an experience of beauty and natural beauty that the whole being recognizes for itself. You don't have to have the thought, this is good. It's just... There's a whole body-mind recognition of the value and relevance of that state of well-being. So we need enough concentration to be able to have such a, a taste of the place of practice. But where we go after that, uh, again, depends on the kind of character we are. So we could, of course, stay at that level, and, and, and some people do because it's so intoxicating. It's, uh, you know, it's like uh, seeing... You know, beautiful paintings. You know, you, there are some very beautiful paintings around. You can gaze at a beautiful piece of art and be so uplifted by it and inspired by this painting. And maybe if you've got the money, you can even buy it and put it on your wall. And you've got a beautiful room, and you put this painting on the main wall in the room, and and it transforms the space of the whole room. And and that's a wonderful thing. And that's fine, then you get on with your life. Or you could choose to be a painting collector. You could go around and you could fill your whole room with paintings and actually that one original painting then gets spoiled because you stuffed all these paintings in the room and you could just become a, a rather boring, stuffy old painting collector who hasn't got anything better to do with their lives. Meditation runs the same risk. We can have some interesting, pleasant experiences as we do a little concentration exercise and we can become distracted by that and spend all our time dwelling on having more interesting experiences. But if we hear the teachings of the Buddha, then we're not going to do that. The Buddha talked about going through until you reach the heartwood, not settling for the outer bark or the inner and then the softwood and then going through, but going right through to the heartwood. And the heartwood is the essence of transformation, where the heart is the, the consciousness, the the psyche is so transformed that all the distortions have been removed and there is only clear seeing left. And in such a heart, in such a mind, in such a being, there is no possibility of acting out of greed or hatred. There is no possibility. It's just not going to happen. It could not happen for such a being that they would intentionally cause suffering for themselves or any other being. So in Buddhism, this is uh, what we're, we're inspired by or encouraged to move towards is and not uh, just relaxation, although meditation can be used for that, not just concentration and having some nice interesting shifts in the perspective on consciousness, although we can do that and that's a great gift, but 
heeding what the Buddha was saying about our vulnerability, so long as consciousness still has the seeds for distortions to occur, so long as there are seeds for, for greed and for aversion, for delusion to arise in consciousness, then our work is nowhere near finished. We, we are encouraged to keep going. Now, the pace at which we go uh, is a very personal thing. And, and also the manner in which we proceed is a very personal thing. For some characters, it's the case that they will take the concentration exercises that they've developed skill in and, uh, and really hone them down and, uh, and become masters of samadhi. And then once they reach a, a stage of very intense, very, inc- in, uh, very refined concentration, the mind can shift into investigation and bring about the insight in which the distortions are removed. The other approach, the other main approach to developing the path of transformation is that once, as Ajahn Chah said, we reach the stage of having a good enough level of concentration, rather than maintaining a focus on the object of investigation, rather than maintaining a focus on one point, we let go of focusing, we let go of the willful effort of focusing and fall back into the awareness itself. Now, if one's never had any experience in meditation, that may not make much sense, but if you've had even a beginner's experience in meditation, then you can appreciate that there is this option that once we reach a certain level of tranquility, we can release out of focusing, we can release out of trying, we can release our effort, the kind of effort we're making, and allow our attention to expand and to be more interested in abiding as the spaciousness of consciousness. So it's not the object, it's not, it's not the hindrances that we're trying to get rid of, it's not the object that we're trying to hold on to, but we release out of that way of relating to our practice, to being interested in how open and receptive attention can be in this moment. And that is a very different approach to practice, but perfectly valid. And if we have an affinity with that approach, approach, which I personally think my own experience and my observation is that for most Westerners, the latter approach is more suitable. If we do have that affinity, well then our way of dealing with the difficulties that come into practice is very different. If we're, co- if we're working on concentration practice, then when obstructions to concentration come into mind, we do whatever we can to get rid of them. And we do need to start off in practice to do that. That's what we do when we're starting to meditate. We're focusing on the meditation object, whether it's a sensation of the breath or counting the out-breaths, one to ten, ten to one, or focusing on the object of meditation, of loving-kindness, or focusing on the sound of silence, whatever object of meditation is, we've got this distinct object and we're making this distinct effort and then any distraction comes along, we try to get rid of it, whatever we need to do to remove that, that, that hindrance from concentration. But if we've reached a certain point where uh, we actually feel like we're not really progressing anymore, and that, that that approach to practice is is not 
helping us deepen further and we're not increasing in well-being and contentment and understanding, then it's the time maybe to, to let go of making that kind of effort and to examine the very, the very motivation to try and get anything out of meditation. And so that's why in the beginning of meditation I was suggesting that you bring the thought to mind, no expectations. Because the, the gaining mind can be an expression of greed. And the reason why I was suggesting a minute ago that for Westerners this latter approach is more suitable, the approach of abiding as awareness itself, rather than trying to have particular objects of awareness or going towards a particular goal, to abide as the awareness itself. The reason that this is sometimes more suitable for Westerners is because the will that we've exercised to concentrate on our meditation object has become distorted. We are so willful, we are so manipulative we are so greedy that it's very, very hard to release out of that. And when we bring that greedy, gaining, willful attitude into meditation, we tend to throw ourselves more out of balance. And that is uh, certainly not helpful. And, and I've experienced this myself. I've also seen it happen in many, many people over the years, practicing for a long time. They, uh, they just have continual frustration and disappointment. Even though they've had lots of interesting experiences, all the interesting experiences have done them very little good. In fact, they may have just made them even feel more disappointed because they lost their interesting experience. Maybe made them more conceited and more inflated, and then they lost their interesting experience and they feel really deflated. And and uh, it does happen sometimes. People will then just drop the whole practice of meditation, which is unfortunate. Really what perhaps is called for is instead of giving up meditation, just giving up trying to get something out of meditation. Yes, transformation does need to occur. Yes, there are those beings who can live with profound wisdom and profound compassion and can tolerate tremendous pressure much more than we can. We come under a little bit of pressure, not getting our own way, and then anger comes up. and We come under the pressure of being tempted with appealing sense objects and greed comes up and distorts our consciousness our minds are easily intimidated by greed and ill will we do need to transform these distortions we do need to transform this raw material this this compost needs to be transformed into something that is uh, truly beautiful inherently beautiful so yes we do need transformation but how are we going go, how are we going to go about it that depends on the kind of character we are so it's not the case that uh, any particular teaching or technique is going to work for everybody. We need to uh, be willing to use discernment, to very patiently feel for our way into the approach that we need to be using. If we have enough concentration to read a book and we can start to read our minds, we can start to ask relevant questions and, and yet we're not feeling like our questions are being answered, well, then we need to change our approach. For those who have very, uh, perhaps, overly educated or educated in an unbalanced way, uh, our thinking habits have, have been conditioned uh, with, with too much uh, greed, then sometimes it's appropriate to stop trying to get somewhere and just to investigate their very motivation, to engage our thinking process. 
And so instead of trying to stop thinking, you actually get interested in thinking. To think a really interesting thought. Like, the the Buddha talked a lot about the the, the, uh, impermanence of all conditions. Everything that's got the condition to arise will cease. In other words, anything that's manifest is not worth clinging to. If we cling to it, we're going to create suffering, we're going to create stress. And uh, he, he knew this himself, he talked about it a lot and encouraged us to investigate into it. And so instead of just trying to get rid of the distractions of meditation, like, for instance, some thought of desire arises. Like, I really, I really want to develop concentration more. You know, I've heard all these wonderful stories and I've listened to these Dhamma talks by these various teachers who, who go on about jhana all the time and all the bliss that they're experiencing and how inspiring and wonderful it is. And I really want the bliss that they've got. You know, they seem to be happy all the time. And, and uh, I really want to... You've, you've been banging away at this effort for a long time, but it hasn't got you there. And so instead of feeling like a hopeless case, you, you can stop and say, well... What is this thought, this desire that I want concentration? And just to, to look at wanting. We can investigate wanting. Investigate wanting. What does wanting feel like? Then we can just bring that word up in the mind. We want the transformation. We're interested in the transformation of this, this fire, this craving for progress in meditation. We we're being burned by it. And instead of just getting burnt more and more, just stop and just say, well, what is desire? We can ask that question. We're allowed to ask that question. You know, banging away at a meditation technique, like sweeping the body. You know, people can learn the meditation technique for sweeping the body, and they go through the body. And they, but it's a concentration exercise. You can get very, very subtle and, and concentrating on refined feelings in the body and, and have wonderful states of clarity and so on and become very, very refined in concentration. But there's still these obsessions in the mind, you know, craving for progress or, or obsessive memories, painful memories that you just can't get rid of. And people get banging away at this meditation technique and it's not getting anywhere and they feel they're not allowed to change. Well, that's unfortunate. You know, we need to be a little more creative, a little more dexterous uh, in our approach. One of Ajahn Chah's teachers used to say that he said, when the defilements come high, you duck under them. When they come low, you jump over them. You can't just have the same approach with everything. You've got to be creative. It's like doing business. You're trying to do a deal with somebody and you assess the character when they come. You say, well, what sort of character are they? You, know, you check them out. You, say, well, you get the right approach to them. Well, we use the same intelligence, the same sensitivity, the same discernment in, in the kind of effort that we make in meditation. And so... We can. We're perfectly entitled, perfectly allowed to stop and ask the question, what is this desire that I'm getting burnt by? You know, we think it's so spiritual to want to develop concentration, but it could just be another perfect, just another distortion. Or wanting to get rid of something, wanting to get rid of a painful memory or a painful dislike. So we can ask the question, when there's enough quietude to be able to sensitively ask the question what is this desire or where does desire come from what is there before desire arises what is there before anything arises I I find that a very interesting question the Buddha talked about the 
the uncreated, the unmanifest, asankata, tamma. Uh, he talked about it, he knew it. And he, I, I think it's a great question. To ask. What is the uncreated? I think it's an excellent question. Very interesting. I find that a very interesting question. The created, I know, you know, these thoughts, these feelings, these memories, these sensations, the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and mental impressions, they're all created. You can see them because they weren't there, then they're there. But obviously, they're created. So that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And one can just ask that question What is the uncreated? Anything that manifests is not it. So we can get interested in asking the right kind of questions. That's also a perfectly valid approach to transformation. So depending on the kind of character we are, uh, we're going to approach it in a different way. But uh, I would say the, uh, it's instead of believing that any particular technique is going to free us from the distortions of consciousness, from the, the greed and the ill will and the delusion, and we need a, an interested discernment you know, just to, to consider what is that's obstructing well-being for me right now? If what's obstructing well-being for me right now is a lot of anxiety and worry, well, maybe, maybe what we need is just some relaxation. You know, let go of trying to get enlightened, for goodness sake, and drive you crazy. You know, just relax, chill out. You know. Or if you, you know, just, you know, you're feeling okay, but just, your mind's a bit confused and low, well, we need some concentration. That's what we need. You know, developing focus. You're really steadying the mind. You're learning how to be steady. It's like, you know, like you're riding a surfboard or, or you're skating. Uh, before you start learning how to dance on your surfboard <laughs> or learning how to do some really fancy skating, you, first we've got to learn how to balance. Yeah. So that's what concentration is about, learning how to balance, how to be here in a balanced way. If we don't feel balanced, well, we come back to our concentration exercises. But when we've got enough ease, uh, we've got enough focus and clarity, well, then we can ask the interesting questions, the really interesting questions in life, and wait for the answers. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.